Over 226,000 women take part in NCAA championship sports. What would it be like to be named the top one of them all? That's just like, whoa, these women are so awesome. And I was like, why have they chosen me? Ellie Shabo is more than a year removed from her last game as a student athlete. But the former Harvard field hockey standout is still in the running for one of the most prestigious awards in college sports, the NCAA Woman of the Year. I'm always like in awe of the people that have like either stood by people, stood up for people, made differences in areas that I had no idea needed difference making. Shabo did a lot in Cambridge, and it sounds like she's got plenty planned for her future. Graduate from medical school, hopefully I'm in a, a good residency program and, and like learning how to make a difference in the world. I'm Brian Seltzer, and this is Ivy Insights from the Ivy League, with new episodes dropping every two weeks. Season one, episode seven, Looking Beyond Yourself. Happy holidays! Whether you've already celebrated or have big festive plans on the horizon, hope you're able to unwind a bit. No slowing down at all this time of year in the world of college athletics, especially in the Ivy League, aside from some brief respites here and there for the student-athletes to get those fall exams done. We've got some breaking news within the last couple of days that we're going to talk about a little later on, plus some updates on accolades for fall Ivy League student-athletes. But yeah, let's talk about one of the NCAA's most exclusive honors, Woman of the Year. The award's going to be announced at the 2024 NCAA convention in Phoenix next month, and Ellie Shabo is one of 30 finalists who are up for it. Shabo was Harvard's goalkeeper from 2018 to 2022, won Ivy League Rookie of the Year, and also a couple titles. Her sister currently plays for Harvard, and she hails from Surrey, England, south of London. Ellie's got great stories about life on and off the field, and she's here to tell them. Ellie, this has to be an interesting time for you because you've been out of school for a while, yet you're in the running for this really prestigious award. So it's almost kind of like you've still got a foot in the college athletics world. What's that been like for you? Really weird, <laughs> to be honest. I feel like it's a year later and I'm still still in that world. And I was already kind of still in it. My sister plays for, for Harvard now. Um, so I definitely was still going to the games and everyone was like, why are you still here? Um, but it's it's been weird. I mean, it's nice. It's, it's like cool to still be part of the team. And I mean, I would be anyways, like we're, it's a family. It's a, a lifelong family that we have. Um, but it has been strange, <laughs> strange to be going through this whole, I guess, journey when I'm not even putting my kid on every day and haven't touched it in months. So that's definitely been weird. For student athletes, when you go through the process, when you're up for awards, I'd have to think that, you know, you're in the midst of your career. Probably you aren't thinking first and foremost about individual honors and accolades. You're prioritizing what the team can do and that sort of thing. But now it's it's like you don't have that team environment to take the thought of an award off your mind. Have you found yourself that relative to other honors or awards you might have been up to in the past when you were playing, that this one might creep into your mind a little bit more? If I'm being entirely honest, not really. I mean, I feel like I've, I kind of just like didn't really know what it was. And like I got an email back in June to kind of submit 
some stuff like they needed some information from me and I was like what is, what is this um and I feel like I was kind of wrapped up in all the other things going on in my life that I kind of forgot to pay attention to this but I mean it was when when like the top 30 and then the top nine came out that was a really cool moment it was a nice little moment in my family group chat and <laughs> and I moved along like carried on my day but I'm I'm excited and it's it's really cool to be honored in this way but I mean like any award that I have ever possibly received I couldn't do it without anyone else that played with me like I didn't do this myself I didn't win championships by myself or whatever it's a team sport so I I, get it. I feel like that still holds true regardless of what award it is when you found out more about the award, was there anything else that stood out to you? Is there something, an extra layer of something that makes it special to you, given that, yes, it honors student athletes, but it seems to go a little bit deeper than that. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I like got like the top 30 email and I was, I was sitting with my friends and my boyfriend and I was, I was like, what on earth is going on here? Let me, let me do some some little like reconnaissance, find some, find some research out about what this award is. And I was looking at last year's nominees and I was just like, whoa, like these women are so awesome. And I was like, why have they chosen me <laughs> at all? Like, why have they categorized me in this group of people? Like, I feel like I have not done any, anywhere near as like, the stuff I've done hasn't been half as cool as what these women have done. Um, so, I mean, there is that aspect of it where I was like, wow. Um, and it definitely does go beyond just sports, which I feel like for me makes it maybe a little bit more of an important award. And like when I like look back over my career, like none of the other ones really were like, again, it's a team sport. It was never just about me. So the awards that were about me didn't make much sense when I like was honored to receive them, it's like the team should be getting this, not me. But this one I feel like was nice, is nice in the sense that it, it really looks beyond the field and looks at <laughs> maybe what I tried to do. <laughs> well, in all fairness, if we did remove the modesty cap from your head, I mean, listen, you did accomplish a lot on the field. You had a lot of success individually and as part of the team with Harvard. And you also managed to do so much else with your time. I think a lot of people on the surface might look at your profile and what you accomplished and be like, hey, th this is the poster child for what an Ivy League student athlete is and should be. Do you have thoughts on that? You've interacted with so many other student athletes, not just on your team or in your sport, but across Harvard. In your mind, what constitutes an Ivy League success story as a student athlete? I mean, when I look at who I looked up to as a freshman or a first year and who I continue to look up to today within the Harvard environment and in other, I guess, like alumni that went through the Ivy League, I guess, system. Um, I'm always like in awe of the people that have like either stood by people, stood up for people, have like made differences in areas that I had no idea needed difference making like I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't thought about it so like, I, I guess I was never impressed with someone's grades in a class that was always a bit annoying to hear people's test scores like I don't care um like good for you but like 
it, it's the stuff beyond the classroom. It's the conversations that you have at the dining tables and like in your common rooms and hearing about people making patents for random things that you wouldn't have thought about or doing awesome research or involved in running the homeless shelter. And like, those were the things that I was like, wow, like people are looking beyond themselves and beyond their own journey and looking outside into, into who else is around them, who else can they impact and, and include in this world and make the world a better place, I guess, <laughs> would be my answer. Last we heard from Ellie as a student athlete in the fall of 2022, she had put the finishing touches on one of the greatest field hockey careers in Harvard history. We mentioned some of her recognitions and accolades at the top, but she was also the first goalkeeper in Harvard history to 50 wins, a four-time All-Ivy pick. Just outstanding, awesome stuff. She graduated at the end of that semester in 2022, so I asked her what she's been up to since and what she's doing now. Right now, I am currently working at Boston Children's Hospital in the neurosurgery department. I'm doing some, some basic and translational research in epilepsy and autism. And I'm also volunteering in the emergency department weekly. Um, <laughs> I feel like that is my entire life in two sentences right now. What made you want to pursue this line of work, this field? My dream is to go into medicine, but I have an interest in neuroscience. I like studied that in, in school. But for me, I think it's really important when I become hopefully a physician like we're so impacted on a daily basis and each year there's new innovations and new therapeutics that are brought into the space. And I kind of wanted to be on the other end of that to understand like, where is this science like coming from? How is it being generated? How can we impact lives, not just patient facing, but also from the bench or like using computer AI and, and whatnot, not that I'm very tech savvy. So <laughs> I'm definitely not involved in that. But I, I guess that was kind of my reasoning was I wanted to see how patient care was being impacted from like a different lens that is like super integrated into clinical care every day. When you think about how you're wired and your experiences in life, why this? Was there an experience, a moment, something you went through where you can remember like it inspired this? Because it sounds like it's been part of your sightline for a long time. So, I mean, when I was really young, I was super into to science and genetics and evolution. And I'm not going to say eight-year-old Ellie knew what she was going to do when she was older. She definitely did not. But like, I definitely had that spark and that connection with the academic side of it early on. But I guess my real interest and real passion for it kind of came my first year of college. I like had an inkling that I wanted to go into research or medicine, but I worked at the homeless shelter and like I started working there my freshman year from like inspired by one of my older teammates. I think I was just inspired from talking to people and hearing their life stories and hearing how their trajectories were changed by ailments they faced or mental health or substance use disorders they were suffering from or like their family members were and how that lack of accessibility to care really changed the tra trajectory of their life. And I guess I also saw that in stark contrast to what I grew up with in, in the UK where we had universal healthcare. So anyone could walk in and receive care and no questions asked. 
but that was for me like really shocking and I was really hit by how many people I walked past every day and spoke to every week that were experiencing homelessness and for me I wanted to do more and and help people beyond like that specific moment and, and address the root cause but that that was definitely my ins- inspiration experience and everything kind of led on from there I know in some ways you might only be at the beginning of your journey towards pursuing that ultimate goal of being a physician, but whether it's through things you've observed already or studied about the field or scenarios you've been put in as an intern, is it something where there's experience you can draw upon on the field as a goalkeeper that you apply to, or you can map out like, oh, if I were in this scenario as a physician or a doctor, I could fall back on this. And I experienced that as an athlete. What are some of those things? You know, I think they were, I think it was bi-directional. I don't know if that's the right word to describe it, but I think my experiences on the field helps me navigate those kind of patient or clinical experiences. And I think vice versa, those experiences helped with managing and and being part of a team. And I think the biggest thing I learned over the course of my career is each where like you're in a united team, you're in a, a community and a group, but within that you have individuals that are experiencing very different lives, even though we have this central like overlapping core component, which, which was field hockey. Everyone's individual, everyone has different ways they like communicate can be communicated to like different emotional trajectories that they're on and being aware and tuned in to those experiences and how an individual interacts with their environment for me was like the biggest thing I brought into my clinical experiences and and having that ability to like listen to people like see where they're at like meet them where they're at be able, like, I guess the whole point of, point of that is to be able to empathize with those situations and be able to connect with people individually and, and personally in like an authentic relationship. So I guess that kind of went back and forth between the two. That's cool because from the outside looking in, I'm thinking, well, okay, here's someone who played goalkeeper. That's a high pressure position. You know, you go to the final four, ooh, there's a lot of pressure. But then if you're a doctor, you might be put in scenarios where it's like, listen, or it doesn't even have to be the most high stakes procedure or operation or diagnosis. When people come to you as a doctor, they're looking for care, they're looking for wellness. And to me, there's like almost like an inherent pressure in a position like a doctor, much like there is an inherent pressure in being a goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I definitely, people people have asked me like, oh, how do you handle pressure? How do you handle pressure? I'm like, I have no idea. I feel like I just do it. Like, <laughs> it just kind of happens. And I, I agree. I feel like you're in that position to make a really high intensity, quick, like you don't have time to think. Like you are instinctively making decisions and you have to make decisions that like make a huge difference to the game. And in the same way, I, I hope that translates over when I'm in those situations in the medical field. And I feel like that ability to like work through that high pressure has and hopefully will continue to translate into more academic settings. At the beginning of our conversation, Ellie talked about how through her sister, she still feels this connection to Harvard field hockey. I wanted to go back to that topic, this notion of transitioning out of a career as a college student athlete. 
it doesn't seem like that's discussed a lot. Ellie shared her perspective on what it's been like entering this new phase of life and leaving competitive sports behind. I think it has been really hard and I wish communities and schools and institutions and teams talked about that transition more because I feel like you have this identity as a student athlete. And especially when your season finishes and then you leave school immediately, you don't even have the transition of becoming a student. You suddenly lose two identities of being an athlete and a student. And no one talks about that. And you don't know how to navigate going to the gym or like working out without a team around you or without a group and without trainers there. And you don't have organized practices every day where you have to show up. And I, I personally struggled to find like a space to, to do that and a community to do that with. I'm, I'm slowly figuring it out, but it definitely was a huge transition and a, like a total identity shift that I don't think is addressed as well as it could and should be for a lot of athletes and student athletes. Because you hear about it all the time in professional sports, how do athletes transition out? And there's, there's programs that these professional leagues have set up to assist in transitions. But when it comes to college athletics, you're right. You don't hear a lot about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess like there's not, it is only like, I don't really know how to describe it. It's, it's weird. Like for me, coming from England, you didn't stop playing field hockey once you left school. Like you keep playing until your body gives out on you, which for me would have probably been now anyways. But from if I had stayed in England to go to school there, I would have then continued playing field hockey at a like high standard, like in the top club teams in, in the country and would have continued my career until I wasn't capable. And here the transition is you're playing full time for four years straight and then you're cut off. And there are some sports that have those like natural leeways into like club teams and whatnot not for field hockey in the same way, but there isn't any process of, of even talking about it. Like, I feel like I don't even, I didn't even talk about it with most of my teammates. And I kind of had to be like, Hey, are you, are you guys experiencing this? Like, do you guys have this, this issue of like re-identifying and trying to like, I don't, I don't want to go to the gym or how do I go to the gym and not want to like work out 110%? Like, can I just go on a walk? Like, I, I feel like those conversations, even if they're just facilitated within teams or identity groups or whatever it is, I think those conversations just to feel like you're not the only one experiencing that would be, even that would be helpful. Competition and camaraderie are two things that seem like it's just so hard to replicate once you're outside of the sports environment. Are you finding outlets for that elsewhere in your life? Do you feel like you need it? How do you find those things that you can't get when you're not playing a team sport anymore? Yeah, I mean, the camaraderie thing, I think that just comes with community and like building a community around yourself. And that is something that I have tried to do in school outside of athletics and have continued to take outside of school, like take on outside of school. So I, I guess that for me has never been something that I miss in this like I miss my team and I miss that like I guess unity through hardship and like competing with them and you don't it's you can't replicate that same environment elsewhere but you can replicate com like community and and that family like feeling in other areas in terms of competition I feel like the main competition was always with me 
not with Princeton or Brown or whatever team, Northwestern, like that, that wasn't the competition. Like on any given day, anyone can beat anyone. The ball can bounce a weird way. Like the wind could blow the wrong direction. I feel like the competition should be internal. Like how can I be better tomorrow and the next day and improve myself both on the field, off the field, as a human being, like that's where the competition is and that doesn't leave. But in terms of some friendly competition, I, I think just just some game nights. <laughs> we know what a successful career as a student athlete looked like for you. My gut says to ask you something like, well, what's your five-year plan? But if you're going to med school and all that, it might be more like a seven or 10-year plan. So what's the seven to 10-year plan look like for Ellie Chavo? You know, that's a like a good question. I I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to like be more zen and go with the flow. It's not working for me very well. But graduate from medical school. Hopefully I'm in a like good residency program and and like learning how to make a difference in the world. I would love to be in academic medicine and contributing to research and teaching and mentoring as well as being patient facing, but Beyond that, I mean, I'd love to be globally somewhere around my family as well. <laughs> I feel like it's been so long without being around my family. So that's that's part of my seven to 10 year plan, but that also relies on my sister, my mom, and my dad making plans that align with that. <laughs> Terrific and noble aspirations. Ellie Shaba, one of 30 finalists for the NCAA Woman of the Year, the winner will be announced January 11th at the 2024 NCAA convention in Phoenix. All right, let us now check out some of the headlines making news around the Ivy League. The big story this week, the breaking news, the Ivy League is going to be holding a postseason wrestling tournament starting in 2025. How awesome is that? Ivy League Executive Director Robin Harris gives us the scoop. I couldn't be more excited for our wrestling student athletes and the opportunity to come together in an Ivy League focused event that really showcases the strength of Ivy League wrestling that provides them a capstone to the regular season, their Ivy League competition and positions them incredibly well for um, also moving on to the NCAA tournament for those who qualify. Six Ivy League schools sponsor wrestling. There were three individual wrestlers who won NCAA titles last year. The EIWA has long been the path for Ivy League schools and their student athletes to get to the NCAA tournament, but now with the postseason wrestling tournament beginning in 2025, that will be the ticket with the Ivy League punches to get to the NCAA tournament. The 2025 Ivy League Wrestling Tournament will be held at Jadwin Gym on Princeton's campus. Let us now check in on some basketball on the men's side going into this past week. The top six teams in the league had a combined winning percentage of 71. That's tremendous. We're talking about Princeton, Cornell, Columbia, Harvard, Penn, and also Yale. Brown with Almanor in front, floats it up, off glass and in! Avery Brown! Columbia went into its winter break a week and a half ago, having won eight out of nine after starting the season with two losses. 
Penn, meanwhile, has a pretty daunting but also cool and exciting road trip on the horizon. December 30th, they're at the Houston Cougars. And then, after the calendar turns, January 2nd, they'll be taking on the Auburn Tigers, Penn Quakers, with some competitive stuff in the non-conference schedule. Belker at the end of the clock. Chen's got to go. The runner is good. Looking at Ivy League women's basketball, Princeton continues to do its thing. Nice non-conference victories over Rutgers and Villanova recently. Going back to our previous episode, our guest was Doug Feinberg, the longtime college women's basketball writer for the Associated Press. And one of the things that he talked about was keeping an eye on the Dartmouth Big Green. They could be a nice story this year. Dartmouth won just twice in 2022-2023. Well, get this. They're not even in conference play yet. They've already won five games this year. So Dartmouth, the Big Green, making some good strides on the hardwood with women's basketball. Take this as your not-so-subtle, subtle reminder. Ivy Madness tickets on sale now. Go to ivymadness.com and be there in New York City when the top four teams from the regular season from both Ivy League men's and women's basketball races meet to determine which teams will advance with an automatic conference berth to the NCAA tournament later this year. All righty, before we go, we want to give it up for some winners. Last episode, we previewed the Bushnell Cup finalists for Ivy League football. The winners were announced in a ceremony a few weeks ago at the New York Athletic Club in Manhattan. And the winners were the Ivy League Offensive Player of the Year, Yale senior quarterback Nolan Grooms. I remember running around the backyard uh, as a kid. My dream was always to be a college football player. Uh, and in the last four years, I'm just, I, I can't really put it into words. The Defensive Player of the Year was Penn senior defensive lineman Joey Slackman. To the Penn coaching staff, thanks for taking a chance on me and believing in me from the beginning. Because not only am I honored to be here, but I'm honored to just be a part of the program. Uh, from where my career started to uh, where I am now, I wouldn't be on this podium if you hadn't given me that chance a couple years ago. So thank you for everything. One other football nugget to give you a heads up about. For the second year in a row, the Ivy League will have representatives in the Dream Japan Bowl. How cool is that? It's going to be held in Tokyo on January 20th. Kickoff time is 11 p.m. Eastern. Lastly, we've got some All-America honors rolling in for fall Ivy League student-athletes. Three in field hockey, five in women's soccer, and one from volleyball from the Ivy League champions, Yale's Carly Deal. Read more about those student-athletes and all the great stuff they did by heading to ivyleague.com. Okay. That'll do it. Hope you have a terrific finish to the holiday season and an awesome start to the new year. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Ivy Insights is a production of the Ivy League. Our executive producer and master of information, and also this episode, guest correspondent, the Ivy League's associate executive director of strategic communications and external relations, Matt Panto. Special thanks to Ellie Shabo for taking the time to talk. I'm Ryan Seltzer. Be sure to stay on top of all things happening in the Ivy League with the Ivy Insights newsletter. Just go to ivyleague.com and sign up for free. And especially because this podcast is brand new, please give us a follow or subscribe. Consider leaving a rating. It helps a lot, and we appreciate it. Again, next episode of Ivy Insights comes your way in two weeks. Happy New Year.